Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have another uh, member of ESA, the European Space Agency. Uh, his name is Timo Prusti. He's a scientist working on uh, the Gaia team, G-A-I-A. So, Timo, thank you for coming. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, tell me, what's the, uh, the Gaia project about? So the Gaia mission is uh, really a dedicated mission to measure the positions of stars on the sky. And uh, one can always wonder that uh, why is that uh, relevant? But uh, one of the big important things there is that uh, you can actually get distances to stars if you are measuring the positions very accurately. And that's a very challenging measurement. So you need a dedicated mission to do it. And uh, that is really the core of Gaia. How precise do you need to be in order to know the distance of a star? So we are not talking about any more arc seconds or not even milli arc seconds. When we, we go to micro arc seconds. So uh, often uh, one is making these comparisons that, okay, we are going to see like uh, if there would be a coin on the moon. Um, it's always tr- tricky to say how precise something is because who knows how far moon really is. But um, I, I think it gives us some, some sort of feeling what kind of, uh, what kind of precision we are aiming at. Well, how do you measure the, uh, you know, the distance of a star or its position? What's, what kind of measurements do you take? And you take them from Earth or do you have to go out into space to take them? So the Gaia mission is uh, in, uh, in space. It's actually some uh, one and a half million kilometers away from us, behind the moon, in fact, because we don't want to see the moon either. We have to do it from space because if you try to do this kind of measurements uh, from Earth, the atmosphere is uh, too unstable. It's wobbling and the stars are jumping up and down, of course, in a very small scale. But for this measurements, it would totally ruin it. So we have to go to, uh, to space and, uh, and make the measurements of the position. Now, the position is, in a way, uh, one can say that if you would have a grid on the sky, you could just say that uh, what is the X and Y. And, uh, okay, you know, in the first place, one has to have this grid, and then, then we do this measurement. Now, the, the distance is a tricky one, and what we are using here is something what, what is called parallax. And uh, what would be sort of a description of a parallax, how you, how you do it, is you can imagine having a finger uh, in front of you and you blink with your eyes and you see that your finger is moving although your finger is not moving and it's this parallax effect and if you move the finger further away or closer by you see it jumping less or more so by measuring this jumping which is apparent not real you get a hook on the distances and that's really the difficult bit uh, what we are doing but we are not doing this uh, with any finger or from Gaia, what we are do- how we are doing this one is that we are measuring when the satellite is one side of the uh, sun and half a year later when it's other side of the sun. So instead of using the, the, the baseline between eyes, we are using the baseline in the, the Earth orbit around the sun in order to get uh, wow. 
measurement which is uh, accurate enough to to get the distances because stars are really far away. So this is going to take you at least half a year to wait for the yes. object to be on the other side of the sun. Hmm. Correct, and and of course, I mean, typically two measurements are not enough, so we just repeat again and again in order to have several measurements of every star, so that we can get this pattern, this wobbling because of this motion, and uh, get into the distances. How many uh, different types of stars or different stars can you measure the distance of? Just a few or a whole bunch? Well, we are doing a, a humble uh, 1.8 billion. That's wow, it. that's crazy. Yeah, that's a lot. That's, uh, so we are really observing like uh, a speed of uh, 300 measurements, uh, 300 stars measured per second, typically. So we are measuring all the time, 24 hours a day, constantly. So you're measuring just a cluster that has billions of stars in it? We're actually measuring everything. So uh, Gaia, Gaia in advance does not know anything of the sky. So how the measurement principle is going, there is first a detection. So one is, uh, the satellite is basically saying to itself, I see a star. And then one has very dedicated um, uh, measurements of, of the position of the star, uh, recorded, and that is sent uh, to Earth. And then this wobbling to get to the parallaxes, uh, it's crown processing. So we have to have quite a heavy machinery on Earth to calculate from these basic measurements the distances and positions. Where is the uh, the satellite? Is it sitting in a Lagrange point so it doesn't move in space, or where is it? It is in an orbit around the Lagrange point, uh, but essentially one can uh, tell it's this uh, second Lagrange point. And the advantage of that one is that because it's the other side of the moon, we have everything that we do not want to see, and this is the sun, the earth, and the moon, they are all more or less at the same side. So then we can freely look to the other direction. You, you said it orbits a Lagrange point. Can you do that? Like, I think you have to be at a Lagrange point and sit, but is it, a, is it act like a like a small gravity well, Lagrange point? Well, the Lagrange point is a kind of a, a plateau. It's not really fully stable, so it's actually easier to have an orbit which is going around it, uh, which you can, with rather small amount of energy, you can keep in that orbit. Um, so uh, it is actually quite uh, several hundred thousands of kilometers around it, uh, with a very complicated uh, Lisa Shu uh, orbit, but... Um, but uh, it is sort of uh, for management of the orbit, it's the best way to do it. But when you say it's a plateau, is it is it a gravity well where an object is, it will spiral into the Lagrange point and it needs energy to stay out? Or does it need energy to stay close to it? Uh, you need uh, a little bit of energy to stay close to it. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. So if you didn't give it energy, it would slowly move away from the Lagrange point? Correct. It would, uh, and then at some point uh, you would get uh, unstable uh, orbit. You would, wouldn't even could easily predict where it uh, ends up. But in a way, it's always said that Lagrange point is is uh, like a gravity well or, or, or a minimum, but it's actually uh, not totally true. Right? But it is a plateau in the gravitational field where it's easy to be around. Oh, interesting. So, uh, were there any particular stars that uh, Gaia has had its eye on that you really wanted to measure? No, we, we did, uh, that was uh, specifically decided not to do it that way uh, and to be complete. So it's all based on this, that if the uh, Gaia detects, if the star is bright enough, we observe it. And it's, of course, all automatic on board. So there's no human intervention at, uh, at this phase. Uh, the data is then recorded and sent, uh, sent uh, down to Earth. And in principle, then we have all stars to a certain brightness level, of course. Yeah, what's the range of detection 
how far away could a star be in order to be detected? So the the basic detection principle is uh, based on uh, brightness, which means that uh, for very massive bright stars, we see far away, actually even in uh, in other galaxies uh, close to our Milky Way, while if the star is very small and cool and doesn't really give much light, then our horizon is uh, much closer. So it's really the solar neighborhood. So it really depends on the on the brightness of the star. So what are some distances that you've found stars to be? You know, like what, what data have you gotten and what has it told you so far? So the distances are pretty well known in the sort of, um, to, to, to give a sort of rough, uh, rough uh, number is that our half of the Milky Way, we can have a pretty good uh, handle on on distances of the stars. And if you get uh, close to the to the sun, so stars which are in the sort of same uh, environment in Milky Way as the sun, uh, then the distances are, are really accurate. So have you learned anything new about the position of any any stars, or what's been useful about figuring out all this information? I always say that we Gaia is doing really fundamental. Uh, uh, research uh, with uh, with finding the stars and as a consequence we really contribute to various fields and i think uh, i have a sort of three examples which i like to outline which i think is a sort of gives a picture of how uh, wide the field is which can be addressed with uh, gaia data so one of the things is for example that um, what was done uh, now already a few years ago by knowing the stellar positions very precisely, we could make a prediction of a shadow of a star on Earth, which is uh, being passed by by a moon of Neptune planet, so Triton. And because we knew the stellar positions so well, we could tell where the shadow on Earth is falling, so that the group of people who have specialized in these observations, they could find that place on Earth and make observations, and they could see the shadow passing. And based on this shadow passing, they could tell us results of the atmosphere of this moon around Neptune. And you wouldn't, in the first instance, think that by doing very precise measurements of stars, you would actually learn something of the atmosphere of a moon in our solar system. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. That's pretty cool. Um, how would you know the atmosphere? What would tell you that? It will tell that how the when when uh, the shadow is coming, it's uh, it's never like a black and white total. There is a first uh, a slow going down when the star is actually getting behind the atmosphere of the moon before it gets really behind the moon, and based on this slope, how it happens, one can address the atmospheric properties. So, what what kind of uh, what did you learn about any of the moons that you observed? What, what kind of atmosphere is anything interesting or, or unusual? Uh, yeah, now, they, now we are going into a little bit outside my speciality. So uh, they, they got the, uh, the pressure measurements, and, uh, and uh, which is then again used in the modeling of these uh, atmospheres. Uh, so this is something like a contribution to, to help uh, this kind of modeling work. Is there any use in getting a better estimate of how far away the moon is or the sun or Mercury or Venus or any known, you know, somewhat local objects? better measurements of them yeah we, we don't measure the the planets because they are they are essentially too big for us and too big and too bright and uh, and they are actually pretty well known already so this is not really like a challenge uh, for gaia because these are done uh, with uh, various other methods uh, already from from the earth 
What about comets or other asteroids that are near or could you know, come close to Earth? Is there any point in measuring them more accurately? Yeah, we do get uh, the uh, the asteroids uh, uh, again. It, Gaia doesn't know what, if there is a point of light on the sky, whether it's a star or an asteroid. It just measures, and that's one of the things what is then done on the on the ground is to disentangle: is this an asteroid or or a star? And if it is an asteroid, uh, then indeed we can determine its position and we can determine its orbit much more precisely than what it could be done uh, from the uh, Earth. And uh, this has relevance uh, to them uh, because these asteroids, they have several families uh, which uh, where the orbital elements uh, are, are known. And one is trying to correlate the, the uh, orbital families into properties of these asteroids. And that is sort of linked then to the birth of the, our solar system and how, how the matter um, accreted around the solar system. So... Um... How long will this mission go on? And, and uh, I mean, is it just going to be a forever thing to find more and more star info over time? So the, we, we had the launch uh, 2013. So we have uh, already completed what we call the nominal mission. So this is kind of in the space agency terms. Uh, you uh, you have to define some time what uh, a satellite has to work in, in order to get the primary scientific goals. So that we have already achieved. And uh, now, of course, when when you have a satellite working satellite in space, you are not going to just abandon it when some nominal date is uh, finished. You actually look, is it worth running it further? Uh, and this is a rather long uh, process to, to, to uh, find out that uh, the science is worth investing the money to continue operations. But we managed to do that one actually easily. And uh, we are uh, hoping to uh, live until early 2025. Uh, and at that time, we expect uh, some of the consumables uh, which are controlling the satellite uh, will finish, and then that's the end of Gaia, and hopefully nothing else dramatic happens uh, before that. And uh, actually, we are just measuring the same stars again and again, and the benefit here is that these three-dimensional dim- measurements, so the distances, they get more and more uh, precise and accurate, and maybe even more importantly, because when we are having uh, several years of measurements, it's not only the three-dimensional position of the of the star which we can figure out, but we can also see the motions. And when you get access to the motions of stars, then you have a totally new area of investigations which opens up, uh, which is actually one of the key science cases for the Gaia min- mission, is to understand uh, our own Milky Way galaxy how it was born, what is its structure, and also a little bit what, it's, uh, what is the future of it. So what, um, can you tell the payback of the mission so far? Like, you know, how do they say, uh, okay, for each star's position we find it's worth this much to us, or, you know, how do they determine if the mission's worth it or not and whether to continue? Well, it, uh, I mean, I would say that uh, to me, one of the spectacular results of the, of the uh, data releases so far is... Uh, uh, is the discovery that actually some 10 billion years ago, our Milky Way, when it was much smaller, had an encounter with uh, with another galaxy, and actually they merged, and they sort of with the mass ratio of one to four, roughly. And why could we find this with the Gaia data is that the merging process, when this tiny little galaxy, well, it's not that tiny, came to, to the Milky Way and merged, was opposite to the rotation of the original Milky Way. 
And what this means is that the stars which came in from this other galaxy, they are still having memory of the, of the original motion. So they are actually rotating to the opposite direction as the bulk of the stars in our Milky Way. And Gaia, because we are measuring these motions, could reveal these stars. And, uh, and by investigating those ones, one came to the conclusion that uh, this event took place 10 billion years ago. And I think it is quite fascinating to sort of disentangle the history of our Milky Way, how our galaxy has come to, together in order to look uh, what it looks uh, today. Why would the stars be rotating one way and, and are they slowing down and stopping and then starting to rotate another way? Like, are you observing this in different phases of motion? I think I think one can already guess that this is not going to happen uh, because uh, 10 billion years is a long time to, to get this reversal. So essentially what it means is that uh, the, the the space between stars is empty and there is basically nothing that can stop them from the original movement in the in the first order and they just continue in time scales of billions of years to continue to in a way rotate to the wrong direction so uh, it is like an intrinsic uh, consequence of this uh, merging event why would they be rotating in the opposite direction in the first place and how long ago was that anti-rotation or different rotations set up so so the original rotation of Milky Way is probably when uh, some uh, at the very, very early universe, when it formed and it uh, it had some um, angular momentum and it was rotating. Now, this other galaxy, it doesn't know anything of the way our Milky Way was rotating. It just happens to merge with a certain angle and certain direction and certain speed. And it just happened to be in such a way that it came in kind of against the rotation. And then because the Milky Way was more massive, it after few passing, it sort of merged into the gravitational well of Milky Way, all these stars, but they still remember the original movement, what they had in this host galaxy, what what was merged merged into the Milky Way. Okay. Um are there other areas of interest that uh, Gaia is looking at? Are there particular like, how do you know where to look and, and what um what data to collect or are you just letting it passively look at everything and run through the whole sky? Like, how are you directing it? Yeah, in a way, that's, uh, the, the last uh, statement is correct. So we just uh, observe everything, essentially. And uh, it's also the, the data analysis is a global one. So we try to find a solution for the, for the all-stars. And what our data releases are all about is that uh, we make a catalog. And this catalog, uh, we try to calibrate all sort of known effects out so that it's as close to the fundamental measurements of these stars as, as possible. And then it is actually up to the whole astronomical community. The catalog what we make available is public. Anyone can use it. And you can do whatever science you want to do with it. And because it's fundamental science, so then you have people using it, like, like I mentioned, some use it to uh, measure the shadow of a star uh, on Earth, uh, and somebody else is using it uh, to understand the merging history of our Milky Way. And of course, there are lots of people who look at the, uh, the fundamental po- properties of, of stars. So it's not really, we don't aim for a specific product. We aim to make the best possible catalog and let the community to do the science. Of course, the original capabilities of the mission have, have been uh, put on the paper and for the in- industry to build a satellite with an idea of what kind of uh, Measurement accuracies are needed for certain type of science, uh, but uh, after after that phase, 
uh, it's really up to the community to do the research. Are there any particular stars or areas that need even higher accuracy or ones that you still haven't mapped that you want to look at? I mean, how much is there left to do? Just a ton or what? So there would be, I mean, of course, one always finds the thing that uh, Gaia is uh, a fantastic uh, step in, in capabilities. So there are lots of new science areas. And of course, people then immediately start to dream about the next step. And uh, as a kind of an uh, example is uh, that what we are still working on is that we are also trying to measure the tiny little wobble we see on stars if they have planets. And what Gaia should be, we are not yet there, what should be able to do is to see a a wobble of a star if there is something like a Jupiter-sized planet which is uh, orbiting around an external star. And of course, the dream of many researchers would be that what about seeing the wobble of a star which has an Earth-like planet around it? So that's a sort of typical thing which is beyond Gaia. And uh, naturally, people are already thinking that, oh, how can we technically achieve that one? But that's very challenging. Uh, so if you see the wobble of certain stars, that would tell you whether they have uh, planets around them? Yes. So there, be a, there is a prediction that we should, see, we should discover some 10,000 uh, stars having uh, Jupiter kind of uh, planet around. So that will be for future years still to see whether, whether we achieve that yeah. one. Well, very cool. Well, uh, Timo, what's the best place for people to find out more about the Gaia mission? Uh, I think the, the ESA web pages and uh, searching for Gaia. And uh, we have, uh, so at the ESA pages, uh, the European Space Agency pages, uh, there, there is information and results for general public. And, uh, and the second level is more science-oriented public. And then we have uh, dedicated pages for actually researchers who actually want to use these catalogs for their own research. Uh, I would say Googling the pages is the is the best way to find the right page for everyone. Very good. Well, Timo, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks. It was a pleasure. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.